This episode is brought to you commercial-free by Arcadia. And just the basics of Arcadia, it's a festival that Fit for Service is throwing in Alpine, Wyoming, July 14th through 17th. We have some amazing artists like Glitch Mob, Emancipator, Troy Boy, Dr. Fresh, some unbelievable artist lineups. We have some unbelievable speakers, and you'll hear a lot more about the deeper significance and meaning But if you're interested, we're curating a thousand people to come and consecrate the ground and say, this is Arcadia, we are here, and you are all invited. So stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear more about the meaning of Arcadia. And if you're interested in checking it out, go to fitforservice.com slash Arcadia with a K. This episode with Zach Bush is one of a series of episodes we are doing for Arcadia. Now, Arcadia is a festival that Fit for Service is throwing, but it's more than that. It's an idea. It's an idea about, as Charles Eisenstein says, a more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And what we're trying to do is build that world. Some of it's going to get built in our imagination. Some of it's going to get built with an idea of what it could be. It always starts that way. Whether I was starting on it or starting fit for service or starting anything or writing a book, there's the idea first and you start to see it in the ether and then you bring it down into the manifest reality down here to the earth. And that's what we're trying to do with Arcadia. Yeah, we're going to have an amazing time. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to come together as a community, but there's a deeper meaning And the meaning is, how do we relate to each other? How do we relate to nature? How do we make every encounter that we have so that each different opportunity we have to interface with every aspect of reality, we leave that portion of reality better than we found it. This is the more beautiful world, a world that knows itself in connection. And Zach Bush is here to talk to us about how medicine might look. But of course, as the medicine mystic that he is, he goes into mystical territories right from the start. This was perhaps the most profound 45 minutes I've ever recorded on any podcast, and I'm so happy to share it with you. If you're interested in more of the Arcadia series, of course, you can join the Arcadia Festival, or when it's all done, we'll put this out on Supercast, and you can check out all of the other experts that are helping us to build in our minds at the very least what this more beautiful world our hearts know is possible looks like, feels like, and tastes like. Enjoy this special episode with Zach Bush. Well, this is a treat. I have teleported a doctor from the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, drawn you into this timeline to tell us how you practice medicine in this world, in this alternate reality that we might call Arcadia. This alternate reality is a relief in the sense that the our concept of time starts to get a little soft. I think in the in the world of the the human egoic realm that we are all emerging from here, we are so dedicated to the concept of time. Mm. And so as we start to think about the human condition outside of time, uh, we realize that one of the most profound examples of divine force is the healing process itself. I feel that in my body when you say time, because if I'm feeling under the weather, I'm in the biggest hurry to get well, to get well. And it's this constant race, which is denying the beauty of where you are at this moment and saying, when I get there, everything will be well. And we do that with with everything, a certain amount of money, a certain relationship, a certain amount of health. And I just realized for the first time that I do that with being well. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we have uh, a reality that has become so dictated by our dedication to the concept of time that we have made our lives very finite. And it's not until we start to loosen our our dedication to the duration of time or the awareness of its movement that we start to have the opportunity to live in an infinite state of being. Infinite state of being is witnessed by everybody. It's not some far-fetched like, wouldn't that be cool if we were outside of time or 
everybody experiences this. You get into a good book mm. or you get into a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh my God, three hours just went by, you know, or whatever it is. That that momentary lapse of connection to time happens to all of us, usually on a weekly basis, if not daily. And so there's something that we could stem from that is that your connection and awareness to this thing that we call, you know, transit of time is nothing more than a, a state of perception. Like mm. you have to be very focused on time to give it any credibility, right? <laughs> like it, when you go on vacation, you take off your watch, you put your phone away and you get up and you go sit on a beach in the morning. And for everybody, that's the cliff notes on how to do a vacation, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That was a, that was an instructive, instructive little <laughs> mini right. rant. Right how there. do you pack your bag for vacation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Um, but that's an exciting concept of like when you start to set down your concentration on time, it, it will leave you for a moment. Yeah. And that's very necessary when we start to think about these questions of health and healing and disease and all of this. Because ultimately, dysfunction and disease within biology comes from an overindulgence of time. We give it too much credit. So you get somebody who comes in, and you've talked about this a little bit, and they're probably like, I'm sure, very much just focused on the endpoint of being well. And what I'm imagining is that what you're starting to do is bring them into a state where they're they can actually appreciate the radiance and beauty of their life right now, which is that healing force. In some ways, it's a bit like what Joe Dispenza's process is, which is to, except he's drawing that alternate timeline where they're already well into the present so that they're well in the present. But this actually seems like a, like a subtle nuance difference where what I'm imagining is it's like, no, like now, like now is beautiful. You know, Now is is completely whole if we let it be and that's what healing is is to become whole mm. what is health it is to be whole and the only way to not be whole is to start to believe in time and by believing time you start taking the past and imprinting it on right now and then having a concept of the future and being anxious about that mm -hmm. and so you're imprinting past events on now to warp its reality. I'm constantly these days learning to let go of my own narratives so that I can be me. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a lifelong journey to just practice that. Yeah. We have so many finite reductionist approaches to telling our own narrative. And for me that was, you know, seemed expansive. Oh, I'm a medical doctor. For years, I was introduced as a like triple board certified, blah, 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 until I realized that was screwing up my journey. Like, oh, I needed to let that whole identity go because I can't become me if I'm actually being dictated in my identity by diplomas or, you know, certifications from random Western medicine sources. Like, you know, that's irrelevant to your soul mm. to show up with me and care about something I did in the past academically. It's almost like it's that's serving the part of us that it is locked in time, right? Like you're by creating this, by creating this biography, you're actually reinforcing time, and then the part of us that agrees with time. And so, like, I can see how, like, oh shit, yeah. And then that's really so much. I mean, so much of medicine is credentials certifications you know it's not it's not so much we don't call it healing healing is always alternative yeah you know what i mean so it feels like in this in this more beautiful world healing and medicine actually start to superimpose over over each other where healing actually is the thing and medicine is just a tool to actually facilitate healing if we do well over the next few decades i think we'll let go of the whole concept of medicine whether it be pharmaceutical or plant medicine or these concepts will disappear and we'll start to move into an era where we simply understand the state of being. Because ultimately this is where, where we connect to all of the original information that made us us. You know? And this time thing really is critical in understanding disease in the individual for sure, something like the emergence of cancer. But at the societal level, our emergence of 
you know, empires and extraction and colonialism and destruction of original wisdoms and peoples and biodiversity of thought. All of that destructiveness is coming from a, a, a this like stranglehold on time. Mm. Because ultimately, there can be absolutely no concept of scarcity unless you believe in time. If you let go of time, then it's only abundance can occur because it's everything is infinite. You look at the tree behind your head, and I'm just like getting overwhelmed by this eternal presence that's out there that's currently in the shape of a tree. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to be at all concerned about the fact that it used to be a sprout and came up out of it. I'm experiencing an energetic infinity in the current beingness of that tree. Mm-hmm. And it's the power of, that's the power of nature and its healing potential is it takes us out of this dedication to concept of where the forest came from and we just get to experience forest. You don't have to worry about why the mountain is there. You get to experience mountain. And the mountain has absolutely no anxiety that someday it will erode and become a plain. And, you know, like it's not, not in the awareness of mountain. Mm-hmm. It is mountain and it holds massive energy to transit more information into a small amount of space that it holds. The stiller I become, i.e., not trying to travel forward in time, I get to connect to my mountain of, of beingness which means I can transit more information, which of course prevents disease because disease is ultimately a disconnect between cellular information and you start to accumulate damage because you're not knowing what needs to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Our repair qualities in the body are infinite. My great-grandmother dies at 102. Every single organ in her body was full of stem cells ready to completely replace that organ, brain included. So why isn't she still here? She was dedicated to a timeline because our humanness has become so fixated on the on this passage of time. And we tend to imprint the now with all of our past traumas, past beliefs, past distortions of who we actually are so that we can't connect to the original information. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, Petri dish science is pretty fascinating because you have an opportunity to look at the behavior of cells outside of their context of their human emotions. Mm. So when I was in my laboratory studying cancer, I got I was, you know, sitting in my little concrete bunker of a lab, 1960s lead paint, toxic fluorescent lighting, surrounded by, you know, six of these massive freezers holding thousands and thousands of tumors at minus 80 degrees Celsius, you know. And at minus 80 degrees Celsius, time does stop at the cellular level all the enzymes stop moving there's it's so cold that there's a a freezing of biologic time some postdoc in 50 years could be studying the same tumors that i was studying so there's a freezing of time literally through temperature but that freezing of time is a phenomenon that i think we can reach many times over when we start to halt the other phenomena of decay which tend to be that disruption of information. There's so many people who are focused on science elongating the lifespan that we have and creating like, we're going to live to be 200, 300, whatever, you know, and it's going to be science that does it. But you've just kind of painted this other picture of actually spiritual development, changing the timeline that so our bodies that our bodies will actually go through and actually ridding ourselves, purging ourselves from the concept of time itself. Every biohacking event I've ever gone to is accelerating the death of everybody that's there. (laughs) Some people are hella bummed out right now. (laughs) They're like, they're looking at their tickets to the next next immortality event and they're, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, you've done it again. But it's inevitable that it would have to because the the it puts it it cops it in the finite right. version of time. Right. It says two hundred years is what you could live to. Well, two hundred years is not a biologic thing. That is yeah. a human construct. Two hundred years. And by the way, what a what a puny thing to shoot for. Two hundred years. <laughs> like 
Like we are infinite beings that are right now animating a human body. And at some point you need to get to that level of awareness of like, my soul's on a freaking mission here. Mm -hmm. And it would be bizarre for me to take a human brain that is animated by an infinite energy source and then create a grandiose human story about how it's going to last for 200 years. I mean, the, the soul has to be laughing so hard yeah. that we come up with this cosmic joke of longevity at 200 years. It's like, dude, <laughs> have you seen yourself? You've been here for eons, like yeah. eons, yeah. like beginning of time. Unborn and the undying. I, I felt that really strongly when I watched the Kurzweil documentary and it was about Ray Kurzweil just trying so hard first of all, to like bring back his father, right? Which is a very sweet sentiment. And I appreciate the heartfelt nature of that. He just misses his dad. I'm like, your dad's there, man. Like, just talk to him. <laughs> like, he's, he's right there. You know, like, if you need some ayahuasca to connect, go for it. But like, he's there. And then like this, this desire to live, you know, to live as long as he can, if not forever, you know, this thing. I'm like, homie, congratulations you do live forever and it's not going to be because of nanobots it's like it already exists and if we can really somatically somatically get that into our body i mean that state of consciousness i think it just i can feel all levels of healing and all levels of things that we believe are not possible become possible because we're in literally a parallel universe at that point yeah and we have to create these false universes to live in to experience the concept of death. Mm -hmm. The concept of death is an endpoint. To believe in that endpoint, you have to create a false universe where you are detached from infinite beingness and you are not capable of awareness beyond the body and that the body actually becomes the boundary event for what we would call life. And yet nothing else in nature does this. <laughs> The, the tree does not see itself as a finite timeline. You know, the, the tree is an energetic center that supports massive amounts of biodiverse life in its, you know, origin as a sprout into this massive live oak that has sprawling canopy of 120 feet in diameter and root systems that shoot 120 feet down into the ground. And that thing is supporting hundreds of thousands of species into this consciousness. And we now know that you know the aspen being the classic example of a of a macro organism. The aspen grove can cover kilometers, you know, but it goes much further than that because the aspen grove is not li limited to aspen. It has these mycelial networks that connect it to evergreen and to mm -hmm. mosses and fungi, and and so you have this massive organism called life. And the tree doesn't see itself as the beginning point or end point of anything. And neither do, do we when we're in our best state. You know, we can mm -hmm. start to feel that infinite nature when we're out in nature. We can have those moments where it's like, whoa, I think I'm, I think I'm everything. I think everything is me. And this, is, of course, is the wisdom that you'll hear sitting with any original people's shaman. You know, yeah. it yeah. doesn't matter which continent you're on. Somebody who is considered a healer has gotten outside of the the false reality of death and is helping people connect back to their, some original information. And so the false reality we live in is this concept of the finite of death. So when you let go of that and say, okay, there's only energy, that's, that's all that exists in the universe is energy, and it comes in many beautiful forms. And the beauty that we see around us is, is man, a manifestation or a demonstration, perhaps a better mm -hmm. word for it, a demonstration of the curiosity of the infinite yeah it seems like what you're suggesting is is that the role of shaman and doctor in this future or present most beautiful world they start to also merge together where healing and medicine start to merge and so it's just almost merged so that they almost become untouchable they're just a part of the fabric of what exists and it also this idea of shaman the one who's experienced this place beyond time and can speak to the infinite energy that we are demonstrating that starts to that starts to collapse in on itself and that starts to be the same role and it's this kind of interesting idea where it's th those things start to come together in a really interesting way and 
I haven't really thought of it like that, but of course, of course that makes sense. The And the difference between a shaman and a MD is the science they practice. And so a shaman comes out of this world of philosophical existence and the MD comes out of physics, you know, uh, and biology may be easier to see. But many scientists on the planet have heard the quote and have reiterated that there's only two pure sciences on the planet, and that's physics and philosophy. But physics, it was actually an outspringing of philosophy around the times of the Greeks. And so there's actually one, only one true science, which is philosophy. And what's happened between the Greeks and now is we got so enamored with the science of physics and that led us ultimately to understanding biology we then forgot the physics and then thought biology ruled. We're finding our way slowly back to physics and biophysics as the realm of, of reality and biology is just a, a finite semblance of it. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, in our journey into this dedication to the physical sciences, we forgot all of the philosophy from which it came. And so the difference between the shaman and the medical doctor is one is still rooted in the original science of philosophy and the other has forgotten it completely. When... If people are listening and they're saying, well, what about my dog? My dog isn't rooted in the, in the field of time. It's just being a dog or the wolf outside or the chipmunk. And they still die. You know, they still have, they're still subject to time even without believing it. And it seems what, what I'm imagining, and I'll let you, you know, see what you imagine. What I imagine is there's three stages of consciousness. There's the pre-tragic, which is where you don't, know any different and you just exist and that's the state that the animals are in it's the, the edenic state it's pre-tragic that level of awareness hasn't come to make things really confusing we're currently largely most of us for most of the time we're in the tragic stage where we're aware we become self-aware and everything gets really confusing at this point because we're able to actually escape from the timeless infinite presence of now and we're able to escape from that and lock ourselves in time and chart ourselves in the future and in the past and we're able to do all of these things look at ourselves as an observer and we're in this and this is creating a lot of disease but what i'm imagining is that there's always you include and transcend each level you know if you're if you're doing it in the best way so including the wisdom of the pre-tragic including the wisdom of the tragic arriving at the post-tragic level of consciousness which then can allow all of the philosophy that we can gain from being in the tragic stage and all of the ways of thinking about things and all of the practices that we could potentially do to actually bring us into a state that's far deeper and more potent even than the pre-tragic stage where we're just like the chipmunk or the otter or the whale, you know? Yeah, and even those three categories are we have to be careful not to subject it to time <laughs> right and so we can be all three at once yeah yeah as a cool and we must include cool it include like we have to embrace all forms of you know the duality of all of it is real all at once you know but the i'm glad you differentiated squirrel and otter because the dog is a complicated one now because yeah. we've we've actually imprinted human constructs and emotions ultimately the vibration of human emotion is very much <clears throat> in the in the clan mindset or instinct mm -hmm. of the dog mm -hmm. the dog will absorb whatever you're bringing to it because it feels it's part of your clan it's it's going to help support the clan right and so our domesticated animals be they horses dogs cats whatever it is we have definitely diseasified these things you know there there's uh, 1.6 cases of cancer for every two dogs now like it's almost 100 percent of dogs Whoa. have cancer in the united states and that just started in the last five years there's an explosion of of canine cancers which is indicative of the level of disconnect humanity is traveling in right now we we see it expressed in our animals in powerful ways and it's very easy to heal animal cancer like we do in the labs all the time very difficult to heal human cancer the animal is supporting an energetic waveform and as soon as you disrupt that waveform it's not it it's not coming from within the dog as soon as you remind it of its original information connect it back to its nature the cancer goes away mm. we do that through the microbiome so if you give back the dog through the information technology of the microbiome cancers dissolve very quickly you give the human the same information, they have such a capacity to overwrite 
the original information with their current emotional remembrance that they can't get the original information in well. They, they corrupt the data as it comes in. Mm. And they're doing that by their dedication to time because their mind is, remember that trauma, remember that person that offended me or screwed me over or abandoned me. Literally, we make our lives so dedicated to our memory of the things past and those are that they're corrupting the information in real time as it comes in from the whole universe saying, you're here, you are here. Holy crap, you're here. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to here. And you can't get that information in because you're so busy having been programmed with the broken expectations of your life. Yeah. So this is what I mean when I say time is ultimately the thing that's going to make sure that we all die at an appropriate young age (laughs) is that we are so dedicated to either our definition of all of the past things that have corrupted our system or this this fear that we have an endpoint coming that we have to keep pushing out mm-hmm. we have we have nasty language too about that denigrates the present i can't wait till i can't wait till i'm 21 says the 15 year old really really you're gonna miss ages 15 to 21 whoa you can't yeah. wait that fucking sucks i can't wait till this thing is over i can't wait till i'm well i can't wait till my kids are grown up. My kids are shit. <laughs> shit. Yeah. Right? Like, and then and then also I can't wait. And I can't believe. I can't believe. You know, like, like all of these ways that are saying now isn't beautiful. And now isn't perfect, just the way it is. And and we use it in our and it's just reinforcing, reinforcing the state that is the precursor of disease. And actually is a disease in and of itself. It just doesn't have it's not in the medical textbooks, but yeah. it is the it is the foundation. I mean, how many times you hear in a, a day? I'm so busy. That that could only be a concept that is, is dedicated to the concept of time. <laughs> like, really? Because it looks like you're sitting in front of me bitching. <laughs> like it doesn't look like you're doing anything right now. <laughs> and you're busy. You're doing, you're busy. What does that even mean? Like, what in your head? means you're busy like (laughs) you must have this concept of a week and then you're thinking of all the things you're going to put in that week and you're so busy thinking about that that you're now so overwhelmed and exhausted you need to bitch about how busy you are (laughs) and so it's just like such an abstract stupid concept that i am busy like no you're just right here you're just right here dude like yeah (laughs) let's not take the journey too seriously like you're here there's a whole universe out there if the universe depended on your imagination to create it, we would have nothing because you would have been too busy to create it all. <laughs> it's when you, and so time really is our disease. Uh-huh. It, it creates the ultimate fear of scarcity. And the egoic mind is there to protect us in a universe full of scarcity. Yeah. And so we have to grab onto ego to be like, do I have enough stuff? You know, like time is short, stuff is short. Do I have enough? Am I winning the game? I think I'm winning the game. I feel like I'm winning the game today. And then you wake up tomorrow, like, I'm not winning the game today. I think that I think my next door neighbor is winning the game today. They seem busier than I am. I need to get busier. You know, like just. And so the journey in my clinic, for example, when a cancer patient comes in, is just to slow it down, because they they're coming in with reams of information. You know, 17 CT scans and blood work and long stories about chemotherapy and radiation surgeries and. I mean, it can take weeks to dig through somebody's clinical record, you know. Mm. And I did that for years. Dig through, dig through, try to find the the breadcrumbs and try to... Now it's just irrelevant. It's like, that's the past. I mean, I I don't have an interest in doing this with you. Mm. But if you would like to just come super present right now, and let's just find out who you are right this second. And how did you get here? And what are you here to do? then suddenly their whole countenance changes. Mm. And by the time they walk out of the clinic a couple of hours later, they've forgotten that there was anything but this, this exciting new journey they're on. That's how the ne- next moment should feel is a sense of landing and then a sense of curiosity should be mm. engendered. Mm. 
because until you until you realize that you are a creative being that we're here right now and everything that's ever happened in the past is not here you are here right now i believe that the energy form that that is created is curiosity mm-hmm. curiosity is our path forward and it's only now because you, you can't be curious in the future you can be curious now what the future will bring but you can't be curious in the future I believe you can be anxious in the future. I think we do that all the time. Oh my gosh, I have a test next Tuesday, and you're already being anxious about it. Mm, yeah, you're transporting you're, your you're transporting your energy from that event to right now. So you can be anxious in the future, but try to be curious in the future. Yeah, I wonder what I'm going to be thinking some other time. Like <laughs> it doesn't. We don't do it's that. Still curiosity right <laughs> it's now. Still, yeah, it's a confluent creative force. So. You know, you've talked brilliantly about just you know the energy that comes out of the the sexual experience where people are near this kind of like creative energetic force and they re- reach this God moment kind of experience. And in endocrinology, we focus a lot on the hormone oxytocin, which even in baked in the wool Western medicine inside the box, they call it the God hormone because when oxytocin hits a neurologic system, it loses all of that time coordination and becomes right now. And so an oxytocin brain cannot be anxious about future, past, everything else. It brings you right now. Mm. Oxytocin is released in huge amounts at the moment that a woman is going through labor for a child, at the moment of death, at the moment of the birth of a child in front of you. You Everybody in the room can have an oxytocin event. It can happen during sex. It can happen during prayer and meditation, spiritual song, dance. And you're talking about like a flood of oxytocin, not just the little bit that you get if you're holding hands or in oh, eye even contact. that's enough. Yeah. Even a little bit of oxytocin is magic. Like dose isn't even necessary because it's so good at what it does. <laughs> it's so good at what it does. I was just with this amazing Mohican elder last weekend, and uh, we were talking about natural law as a concept, and we've been, we had like 30 people kind of brainstorming all day, kind of jamming, think tanking on the concept of natural law. What is this thing? And how do we apply it to governance systems, all this? And at the end of the day, we'd gotten done with the think tank, ate a great meal, played some great music. Smoking an elder sang an amazing traditional song. And then he told this story. He said, you know, I was with my granddaughter the other day and we were at a community dance and she's six years old. And I noticed about an hour in that she had made eye contact with a little boy across the across the room. And I noticed her continue to kind of move around the room and get different angles and look at this boy. And he was looking at her. And I watched this chemistry start to form over an hour's time. And pretty soon they were standing like six feet apart. And they were kind of shuffling their feet and looking down at the floor, shy and embarrassed kind of feel to it. Uh, about half an hour later, there was a little bench they found, and they sat down next to each other, and they were even more kind of bopping and moving and jittery, and they couldn't make eye contact yet. And then right before the dance ended, the little boy put his hand on on my granddaughter's knee, and they both stilled. And there was a moment of stillness there. And then the dance was over, and they got up, and they went their separate ways, and there was no no problem, no no sense of disconnect or anything he said that's Mm. natural law Mm. those children in that moment went into a timeless experience due to oxytocin so that little hand on the knee even before the hand on the knee those kids for the first time at six years old were starting to feel something of there's something greater than myself here like Mm. there's something really big that i'm touching here and that eye contact was all it took to start sparking off this oxytocin event. And I guarantee you, in that, those two children's experiences, everything else disappeared in the room. Mm. All they could, were aware of was this beam of information, energy flowing between those two things. And they're too young to worry about the concepts of love or boyfriend, girlfriend, titles, labels. They were simply experiencing an energetic exchange at the soul level transit, you know, and that information was there. And so oxytocin is a reminder to us that it doesn't take much to disconnect you from your sense of reality and get you plugged back into the greater thing that is reality. Mm. And so we are very blessed with an endocrine system that is capable of doing this. And so at the beginning of a healing journey, I encourage all of you 
to A, look at the cosmic joke. Like, no matter how long or short you feel your life is at the moment, to try to imagine the universe, nature outside, and whether that came from you or not, you'll realize it's ridiculous that you've defined life in the way that you have. There's no way that your short life and your dedication to your iPhone watch or whatever it is, is, is relevant to the journey of energy through all space and time that keeps showing up in a million different iterations to show us what beauty looks like. It is impossible that your current sense of reality is complete, that is whole. And so there's an opportunity for us to laugh at ourselves here and realize that no matter what tragic diagnosis we may have just been hit with, we can have a moment of humor of like, it's funny that we feel like this is the most important thing that's happened in our life is this mm -hmm. diagnosis. Because in fact, the most extraordinary thing that ever happened is we showed up in the first place. That was the biggest thing. And then we polluted it with a massive amount of disinformation that time is important, that we should worry about the future, that we should get degrees, that we should go believe in physics instead of philosophy, whatever it is. Like we should, we go on these journeys of disconnect. We have so much opportunity to re envision everything from shaman to MD. Both of those concepts were necessary when we believed in a scarce universe. The shaman takes us into these experiences of the infinite and we heal. The medical doctor can accidentally do that as well. And we do it through, you know, dedications to the pharmaceutical world and all that. But I have seen people heal in the Western medical paradigm. And it has to do with bringing them to the brink of, of care where we can get, we can make them so miserable in ICUs and the like that they suddenly let go of their hold on life. And they say, you know what? I don't care if I die. This is too much pain, too much suffering, too much disconnect. A human hasn't touched me in five weeks. I've been in this ICU for five weeks and I have not felt a, fing a finger on me. I have had latex and plastic gowns and masked people and all this around me as if I'm some sort of extraterrestrial oddity. And they come in once a day to study the oddities of my body and then they leave. And I am lonely and I'm miserable. I don't care about life anymore. And at that moment, we've done the shamanic journey of letting you let go of life and then healing can suddenly happen. And so I have seen spontaneous healing in ICUs, but it's because of the failures of my system that I practiced, that I got them to that point. And it was my failure of understanding their humanity that allowed me to treat them like I did, that brought them to the brink of letting go of life. And I have to hold that. I have to hold that, that experience in me of like, wow, I did that. I did that to people. I did that to humans. I do that to animals, you know, by not, I, I do that to trees every day. I walk by them unseen in this, you know, relatively beautiful version of Texas here that we call Austin. There's so many trees sitting in the middle of these roads, right on, right on the sidewalk. 10,000 people in a week come out of these hotels and walk by that tree and have never seen that tree. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like as an energetic being to be unseen over and over again? Mm -hmm. We are horrible at doing right now. And therefore, we carry an enormous amount of disease in our society. And the more dedicated we get to the past and the future, the more disease we carry. And what has happened in the last five years when we see pet cancer explode, canines and beyond, we are showing ourselves how disconnected we are from the now and how dedicated we are to the past and the future. And we have built entire sociopolitical, socioeconomic structures based on that level of disconnect. And the only expression that we can have in that state is extraction. Because ultimately we have become a malignancy at that point. A cancer cell is the only cell in the body that is completely cut off from all of the information of the rest of the organism and it thinks it's the last semblance of life. And it can't produce its own energy because it's so damaged. So all it knows is to start sucking energy from everything around it and trying to replicate as fast as possible because it's too damaged to heal, so it can only replicate. And I would posit that humans are too disconnected to heal. 
And so we are sucking the energy out of this planet as fast as we can, and we are replicating as fast as we can. And so why did we go through this parabolic explosion of things? Because we were so damaged that the only thing we could do was proliferate. And if we, we could not heal. But that's not the, the, the spiritual journey we're on. It is the biologic journey we just did. Spiritual journey is there that every one of these bodies is animated by an infinite soul. And so the egoic world is speeding towards its own malignant collapse. But it's being leveraged. That reality is being leveraged by 7.9 billion souls mm. that have been here since the beginning of time for a brilliant moment of transformation. Those souls know that as you get enough energy in a small amount of space within the universe, you create a black hole. You create so much energetic gravity that you suddenly create a, do a, create a creation event. Black holes are what create everything. Black holes take light energy, pull it into a gravitational center, and then spin it out, not in the shape of light anymore, but in particle state. That's called the event horizon of the black hole. So every galaxy that you've ever seen or displayed on telescopes or otherwise is this disk of stars that spin out in these long energy forms of planets and asteroid belts and all of this. That's coming out of the event horizon of a black hole. Black holes are simply the most you know organized gravitational forces in the universe. It turns out we have billions of them inside of our body. Every proton is a black hole. And it spins the, the light energy that is coming out of your cells from the translation of sunlight into carbon chains as chlorophyll organizes a glucose molecule or a fatty acid. You consume it. It passages through a million purposes to get to a mitochondria so that carbon can be broken back apart to release light energy. That light energy is so bright in you. Per cubic centimeter, the human body produces about 10,000 times more light than the su surface of the sun. We're 10,000 times more efficient of releasing the light than it is in producing the light. We are stars. Why aren't you just like blinding me right now? Because you're taking all of that light and every proton as a black hole is turning it into a particle state. You have so much light energy and it's <laughs> expressing itself as particles right now, which make you look like a solid human being. You are a solar event in particle state, and you're here right now. And then we diminish you, and we diminish you, and we disconnect you from all sources of information, and you become the malignancy on the planet. The future will not hold the shamans or MDs. If we survive this egoic journey and the souls win the game, we will create a sacred geometry among those souls that creates so much light density suddenly that we phase shift. We literally change the phase of biology, physics. We change our relationship and philosophy. We change all of that in this transformational event. And that might be our death. That might be our extinction event. Or it might be our rebirth within this physical structure that we call bodies. We don't know yet. It's a 50-50, it's a toss-up right now. We're at this very exciting, curious moment of who are we and why did we show up? Did we show up to create a gravitational event just so that the universe will shift? Because that, that's a really good goal. But if we need to shift universal energy by showing up and going extinct with this sudden density of 8 billion souls in one place at one time to create this energetic transformation because a death is never an endpoint, it's a continuation, it's a transmutation of the energy into a new form, that oak that dies and falls on the ground, within one year, all of the tissue that was oak is now supporting 100,000 species in one year. Death, when done within the context of the universe, within the context of nature, is always a massive expansion of rebirth. Mm. It's not rebirth of a thing, it's rebirth of a civilization. My death will be a rebirth of a civilization if I am connected to other humans. Mm. The only way that we could really fail in this mission is if we manage to disconnect the souls. I don't think it's possible. Our frail human minds can't move those light being energies. We are being organized for a great purpose. The future is not going to hold the shaman or the medical doctor. The future is not going to hold hospitals and militaries. It's not possible because we're reaching this collision moment of the egoic world coming to its malignant endpoint, 
and the rise of an infinite being that is a soul state within us. And at that collision point, everything that is past cannot move forward. And you can do that moment right now. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what a doctor from the most beautiful world our hearts know is possible sounds like. <laughs> sounds a lot, not much like any doctors that I know. Fuck, man. I don't know how you do this every time. <laughs> do you have just an, like just a whole array of things where you're just like, today it's going to be the sun, today it's going to be water, today it's going to be time? It's really mind blowing, man. And I'm just, it's, I'm so honored to walk this path with you, brother. So fucking honored. And, uh, and let's go. I love it. Let's yeah. shepherd these souls into timeless states. Timeless states. I'm honored to be with you. Yeah. Thanks to everybody listening. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. So much love. Wow. I really hope this episode enlivened your own thinking in your own life and your own heart as much as it did me i remember when i finished this conversation i could not stop thinking about talking about all of these concepts that were raised it was like there was an energy a code transmission something that awakened a truth in me and they call these truths that you just feel in your body the name is anthroontological it's where you, Anthropos, you actually understand the knowledge of something in your own body, and you can just feel it as true. And that's what Zach Bush is providing. He's providing things that, yes, there's the scientific explanation, but we feel it as true. And I think one of the most important things of this more beautiful world, one of the most important aspects is that we start to trust ourselves, trust ourselves again, trust that we have a guidance system built in that may not always be right and we have to also trust that we're filled with different biases and different desires and different fears but nonetheless if we listen there's a lehisha a whisper and the whisper will guide us and let us know whether the instrument of truth is in tune or not in tune and so many of these episodes from the arcadia series are really invitations to listen to something and see if it feels true. Actually, any podcast, not, even, not only my podcast, but any podcast, does it feel true? Does it feel true? Of course, the logical mind can make a lot of explanations. It can have a lot of scaffolding. That's important. I'm not trying to deny that dimension of reality where we look at things from a mathematical lens, but there's another lens, and that's the lens of our heart. Do we feel it? Does it feel right? Does it feel true? What we're trying to do with Arcadia is actually get enough people together of this type of mindset where we actually not only can imagine this more beautiful world, but we can live in it. We can abide in it. We can build a home in it. We do that. That's something powerful. Because ultimately, we can spend all of our energy trying to tear down the old world the world, the default world, the consensus reality. We can poke all of the holes we want in it. And it's probably not going to do a damn thing. That's not the way that a revolution happens. A revolution happens by making something irresistible. It happens by creating art and poetry and feeling and connection that is so irresistible that the allurement is unstoppable, that people defect from the default reality and join this reality while being on the inside of the other reality. It doesn't mean that everything has to change. It means that you have to change to everything. It's an internal process. This world that we have out here, it's heaven or hell, depending on our own perspective. Robin Williams, it would seem that if you take your own life, you're in hell. That's the only explanation. But in a different perspective, with a different lens, with a different way, potentially you could see the beauty in it. And it's one extreme example of how perspective can decide whether we're living a life worth living or not. And so the more beautiful world comes from a change of purview, a change of perspective. The mythical kingdom, El Dorado, all of these mythical places 
we think of them and even people searched for them in the case of El Dorado, a land that's paved with gold, it was a metaphor. They were trying to literalize a myth. And the myth was, is that when you actually are in the kingdom, everything is gold. All of the insides of everything are lined with love. And when you're there, you're in heaven, you're in El Dorado, you are in Arcadia. Arcadia is a real place. It's a real place and the consecration of that place is going to happen this summer. And yes, it's happening in many other places, in many other ways, in small moments, in dinner tables and all over. The purpose is to gather as many people together as we can to just plant that sword in the ground and say, here we are and you were all invited. Because it's not an antagonistic conflict model, a war model, a conquering model, a colonization model. No, it's an invitation model. It's saying, here we are. This is how we think. This is how we love. This is how we relate. This is how our economy is. This is how our education is. This is how our health is. This is how we handle things. And we have the freedom still now to live in that reality. And it seems that there are forces that are trying to take away some of those freedoms. And yes, there may be a place to rally and stand against those forces that seek to obstruct our freedoms. But far more powerful than that is to live in the freedom, to be freedom, to be the embodiment of freedom as a living, walking, breathing, emanating invitation to freedom, an invitation to Arcadia. That's how the world changed. That's how all of this stuff happens. Again, there's a place for all of the other strategies, for the campaigning, the protesting, the ballots, the petitions. I'm not discrediting any of that and saying only the magical way in which this is happening will work. But this is also real. And in my mind, the most important thing, whenever I've tried to convince anybody of anything, like my family, my family thought I was fucking crazy for going on all these psychedelic journeys. And I would try to convince them and I would tell them that the visions are actually instructive and it's opening my heart and it's giving me access to higher and better parts of myself and perhaps even intelligence that's beyond me. And I would explain all the stories. They didn't give a shit. And then one day I just showed up and I was a bit happier than they'd ever seen me. My laughs were a bit easier. I was a little bit more loving. I laughed and played with the kids a little bit lighter. And they were like, wow, what did you just do? And I was like, I just went and did Wachuma with Don Howard. Like, I want to go do Wachuma with Don Howard. I was like, no shit. Wow. Okay, great. That's how it works. That's actually what causes people to shift. Because when you have this identity, this reality that you're pushed all of your understanding into and you've built your own identity based upon all of these constructs that you have and these letters of affirmation and, and degrees and titles and accomplishments and all of that, and you have this fortress around you, then the instinct is to defend all of that, defend all of those things that are there. But really, the most important thing is, what do you feel like? How are you inside your own castle? What do you feel like? Is it a castle to you or is it a prison? That's the interesting question. If you're trying to invite somebody into a glorious castle, but in your own body, you're not looking out at a glorious castle, you're looking out at a prison, why would anybody want to follow you? So to liberate anybody, we got to liberate ourselves. We got to liberate our ability to live in Arcadia, to be a part of Arcadia, to be Arcadia. And Arcadia is, so it's an idea. Yeah, it's an idea. And it's real when we make it real. And then when we make it real, that's when the magic becomes real. Burning Man has done this in its own way. One of the most transformative things about Burning Man is not the fire and the 
cars and the psychedelics and all of that. It's that there's an energy there. There's an ethos there. There's something that's in the collective unconscious of that playa that's different. And the rules don't apply. Gifts come as rewards for just living a glorious life. I remember one story from Burning Man, which I'll never forget. We parked all our bikes and we made a pile of all of our jackets and we just started dancing. And we were dancing with all of our heart, sweat pouring off us, just enjoying the music. We had a huge pile of coats in the middle. And finally the music set ends, everybody picks up their coats, we get ready to go on our bikes to another place. And underneath all of our coats, somebody had left us a gift, which was a half-drank bottle of Jim Beam. (laughs) And obviously a half-drank bottle of Jim Beam, not like a super big deal if you're going to give that to your friend in the default world, but in the playa, in the middle of nothing where no bar, it's like, wow, somebody just gave us that. And they gave us that just to say like, hey, y'all, I enjoyed the energy that you were putting out from your dancing. And this is part of the gift economy. This is part of the understanding that the playa provides and that there is no monetary exchange other than giving out on the playa. So there's certain things that have happened in this little microcosm, which is why Burning Man is different than any other festival. Now, of course, we may not be able to extrapolate that entirely to every aspect of our society, but those people who go carry a little of that ethos with them. Same with Arcadia. When we go and we relate in a different way, we understand in a different way, we pray in a different way, we live in a different way, we celebrate each other in a different way, all of these aspects start to ripple out. Then we'll carry that with us into the world. And then we'll find solutions to pull this reality that we're living in towards us. We'll become the magnets that are drawing this timeline into reality. And if we don't do it, who else is going to do it? Other people will try and and do it and succeed, I'm sure. It's not like Arcadia is the only the only place that this is ever happening. I don't want to be grandiose about it. But we're doing it. And you're invited. And I want to see you there because I believe it. I believe this is how things change for the better. And it's going to be the collective intelligence of all of these sovereign beings, every sacred name singing their own sacred song, their name participating in the divine name. Everybody's unique story participating in a greater story. It's not the effacement, the obsolition of all of everybody's identity and all of their unique. No, it's the, the opposite. It's the celebration of everyone's unique self that then forms a symphony. And it's the symphony of unique selves, everybody, both individual and connected. It dispels the myth of separation because you know yourself is connected and you know yourself is unique. And that's what's ultimately celebrated. And if that starts to emanate and if we can actually bring that together in a nexus of concentrated force and allow that to ripple out from there, I don't know how far it'll go. I believe it could go really far. And that's why we're doing it. And look, if that doesn't happen, yeah, all right, we're going to have a great time. But I truly believe that this and many other events like it have deep cosmic significance. That's Arcadia. That's what we're doing. So if you're interested, I would love to see you there. There's only a thousand people who are going to go to Arcadia this year. Maybe the next year it'll be bigger. But this year there'll be a thousand of us in Alpine, Wyoming, and we're going to see what we can do. Matthias Stefano will be there. Charles Eisenstein will be there. Zach Bush will be there. Blue will be there. Vailana will be there. I will be there. All the musicians will be there. All the coaches will be there. And we're going to give the space for real magic to happen. And I'm confident that it will. And we'll see how that all unfolds. But this is the place where we're making a stand. And this is the way that we're making a stand. Like Matrix Reloaded when the machine world was coming to bore down 
and make obsolete all human dignity and sovereignty. What did they do? Well, they danced. They celebrated. They made love. They played drums. They sweat. They celebrated what it was to be human. They said, we are human beings. We are fucking human beings, and that's what we stand for. Our sovereignty, our choice, our primal, loving, beautiful, complicated nature. That's who we are. Come on in. Like, come to Zion. That was the message from that scene, and that's the message from Arcadia. And yeah, there might be the different ships that we got to send out and the things that we got to deal with, but that's not, that's not for me. What's for me is let's create this more beautiful world. Let's build Arcadia. Let's build it. Let's build it together. I'm much more interested in that than fighting all of the other apocalyptic realities. Let's just build something beautiful. Let's build something beautiful together. Thank you all for listening. I hope to see some of you there. And for those of you who won't be there, Arcadia is in the heart as much as it is in Alpine, Wyoming. If you're interested in coming, there's some applications left open, fitforservice.com slash Arcadia. I love you guys. I'll see you soon.